This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Everyone has like a memory connected to that first flavor that they liked, that first thing that they liked. And that's the beauty and the power of food. Welcome to Homemade. On this show, we like to get the story behind the recipe, and that's something that my guest today does very well. Like me, you may have been first introduced to Adam Richmond on his wonderful hit show, Man Vs. Food, where he spotlighted the small mom-and-pop restaurants across America, tracking down legendary eating challenges like the notorious Atomic Wings at Quaker Steak and Lube in Pittsburgh. Weighing in at 150,000 Scoville units on the spice chart, one Atomic Wing is hotter than 40 jalapenos. There's no time limit, but to win the bumper sticker prize and get my name on the wall of flame, I have to take down a staggering six wings. And although he's hung up his napkin as far as competitive eating goes, he's got two new programs debuting this month on the History Channel. We're going to dive into those today and get into some amazing stories on the food brands we love and the people and the machinery behind them. So I want to welcome to Homemade, Adam Richmond. Adam, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me and for that very lovely intro. I always have been completely charmed by you. I love the way that you interact with people when you go out to these places and made friends with the people and showcase them. And uh, so I've always just been a big giant fan of that. But you've been everywhere and you have eaten everything. Well, I'm still working on it. I still have some glaring big spots in my resume that I have yet to fill in. But it's nice to hear that what I had wanted to do was achieved because at the end of the day, we filmed Man versus Food and Best Sandwich during a time not unlike right now where it's a hard time for independent restaurants. And so these people would open their restaurants to us for 12 to 14 hours a day. These people go out of their way tremendously. So my father always used to say respect for respect. You want respect, you have to show it. When I lived in Montgomery for a year, I had a map of Alabama on my living room wall. And I would just absentmindedly stare at and highlight places I wanted to go. So when I had a break, I would go to certain places. Like, for example, I had to go to Brooklyn, Alabama, of just course. by virtue of the fact that there was one. I went to Pineapple, Alabama, yes. which is pretty amazing that they had the Pineapple Water Tower. But then there were places that I just kind of wanted to go to because the names like Eufaula. I went to Gulf Shores and had throwed rolls. Yes, at Lambert's. At Lambert's, exactly right. You catch them with the net. And Red's Little Schoolhouse, I got a, a proper education in, in all things Bama. What I want to pick up on is when you said what people are going through now. Well, so we're still in the middle of this pandemic. Many restaurants have had to shutter because they don't have the ability to have outside seating. Or even if they do, maybe they it just doesn't make sense financially for them to be open. But what you and Guy Fieri have both done for small business owners who don't have the 
the big giant marketing budgets that these chains do has been phenomenal. You brought attention to these local guys and you've helped create awareness of their product, of what they do and their life and their heart that they put into this stuff. So what can we all do right now? as to hopefully this thing is starting to come to a close because you've been on the front lines, you've worked in restaurants and you've visited so many. What do you think we can do to help our local restaurant owners right now? I think number one, if this lands on the ears of any of these restaurant influencers who post about going to this place or going to this other place, continue to do it, do it more than you ever have before. You know, some places are making these outdoor dwellings that are basically indoor. So it kind of ends up defeating the purpose. So even if they can do outdoor seating, it doesn't really strike me as the most optimal eating condition. So number one, tip generously, tip five, 10% more than you normally do, whether it's a grocery delivery, whether it's a food delivery, Budget accordingly so that you could order at least one meal a week. Even if it's just something mundane, if it doesn't compromise your health to interact with them, if people are taking COVID-safe precautions, that one extra muffin a week, that one extra something a week does have ramifications. And if you are walking along and you happen to be out, even if you're not really hungry, picking up something for later, and again, tipping generously, you know, these restaurants we just found out in New York are going to open at a quarter capacity and everybody thinks the same thing as reopening and it isn't. And people that have never worked or ordered in a restaurant don't realize that in the best of times, you have to charge, generally speaking, three times what a dish costs just to slightly profit. So you have a salad that costs you $6 to make. You have to charge 18 for it. I think, yeah, people don't realize all that goes into. I did a, some shadowing at one of Frank Stitt's restaurants before I did Food Network Star because I'd never worked in a restaurant before and I had not been on a line or anything. So Frank generously let me come and shadow for a few days. Yeah. I ended up going in at five in the morning and working with the pastry bakers and staying till almost midnight to the shifts were ended and tried to do every single job I could do behind the scenes, you know, everything they'd let me do so I could learn and I never had a clue what has to go in to the food between the time it is ordered to it gets on your plate. It is a substantial process. And we just filmed an episode of Modern Marvels with the uh, one White Castle restaurant in the state of Pennsylvania. And, you know, whether or not people eat fast food or agree with the politics of it, I'm not getting into it, but I'm just saying this. People who feel that that is the domain of like young kids or uneducated people could not be further from the truth. And I was floored by how much work they had to do, like these people had to do. And it's not just about preparing the food, but they're constantly restocking the bags, the napkins, the burger sleeves and cooking and doing dishes. And the manager was the one who pointed out to me. And bear in mind, this is just with a drive through open. This is an industry that supports more people than you know. And as someone with a background in the arts who came out of drama school and relied on the restaurant industry to keep me alive, as did most of my contemporaries, these are not just the restaurant lifers and the line cooks and the expediters and the chefs and the bartenders that are hurting, but also it's all the ancillary people. The farmers in upstate New York, for example, were last March, April, May, drastically impacted by the just tremendous shortfall of ordering as everything was shuttered. 
Well, I think it's a great idea. So y'all, when you go out to a restaurant, order for yourself and order one for later. That's what I always do. I live way out in the country. And so I don't get into town every day. So that brings us, you said Modern Marvels. So you've got two new shows coming out at the same time on the History Channel. And it's my favorite channel. My daddy always loved to watch the History Channel. So one is Modern Marvels, where you go behind the scenes at some of your favorite things, like the episode that I got a peek of was the one where you went to the Intamins factory and got to see them make the chocolate chip cookies. That was fun. Well, yeah, it's basically the modern mechanization of all the stuff we take for granted. So the first eight episodes are going to be food and directly tie back to the food that built America. You know, when ice cream is a multi-billion dollar a year business, the director of supply chain management at Turkey Hill is the great grandson of the man who created Turkey Hill. He was a dairy farmer, had too much milk, used his grandma's recipe, and then made ice cream and sold it in town. That did well. They started doing that. Then this guy came over, pitched his grandpa, listen, you got these silos, and when you're not making ice cream, they can be full of iced tea. No, they can't. Yes, they can. Please try it. Now they make iced tea. So I think two things you're going to walk away with. Number one, it gives you a tremendous kick in the butt when it comes to being an entrepreneur. It did for me. It made me very aware when I found out how many businesses Heinz had before he succeeded and how many failures, and then also how shrewd of a businessman he was. Relentless, too. Relentless. Relentless. But like, for example, that iconic bottle, yes, the sort of Keystone bottle, Heinz found out people were copying his ketchup recipe and trying to copy the bottle. He bought all the bottles, put them on a boat, and sank it. So no one could get those bottles but him. That's a fact. That ship, the bottles, they are in the Allegheny. Let's go get them. I bet they'd be worth something. Let's dig them up like the Titanic. I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't be like like Dom Perignon from the Titanic, like you said. But I think the other thing is, you know, with modern marvels, it's a tough tightrope, right? Because obviously the more machines do, the less people do. But... The machines are, are nothing without skilled people. So one of the things that I love is that as the machines get more advanced, people get better training, and that allows them a springboard into other fields. Or in the case where we just filmed at Wise Potato Chips in Berwick, Pennsylvania, it's a mainstay in the community, and people end up working there for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And to see that there are corporations that inspire that kind of loyalty in the 21st century is something I most certainly didn't expect. We have a lot of those here in Alabama, Adam. So that's why this show was so interesting to me. But I have to tell you, the food that built America, man, I was fascinated with that. I watched the pizza episode Mm. and fascinated with the Pizza Hut dudes and the Domino's dudes and how that came to be and then how it became like legendary. I remember there was no pizza in my town and then we got a Pizza Hut. (laughs) I mean, it was like, and then we got something called a Shakey's Pizza, which was really cool. I know Shakey's. See, Shakey's has a very dear place in my heart. I remember walking in Tokyo, Japan, in the sort of Omotesando shopping district and trying to buy clothes. And the thing is, I don't think, I, I know I'm not a live dancer, but I'm also not the largest man in the world. Yet for a guy who wears like an XL or double XL in Japan, I'm Shaq. So I was like trying to find, can I buy a pup tent with arms? And I'm walking around and feeling very much like a fish out of water. 
a large fish out of water. And then all of a sudden I turned the corner and there's a Shakey's Pizza and a TGI. I was like, oh my gosh. There's no worse <laughs> feeling, is there, to think like you're the largest person in a country? Yes and no. I think it depends. At the risk of my mother hearing this podcast and being less than happy about a less than gentlemanly statement coming forward. If you're in a culture that appreciates bigger, hairier, more awesome men, then, <laughs> then you are in the proverbial catbird seat. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you are still trying to make sure your mama hears what she needs to hear uh, all these years later. And I'm so tickled to talk to you about her. The one thing I love was she said, start every recipe with an onion, a big, big onion. onion. Yeah, yeah, big that, onion. Yeah, that's what my grandma Mary may she rest in peace. So my grandma Mary always, you know, my grandparents are working. So my great grandmother kind of was a, a mom figure to my, my aunt, uncle and my mom. And um, my mother and my great-grandmother were very, very close. And yeah, every good recipe starts with a big onion, whatever it is generally. Now, what's your favorite thing to make with your mom or your favorite recipe that your mom makes? Okay, so without question, my favorite, I mean, it needs to be like its own food group. And it's not like spanakopita. My mom makes her version of a spinach pie. It has no crust. There's a little bit of breadcrumb to hold it together. But it's the type of thing that my college friends back at Emory would ask if I were bringing an extra one home. And my mom would often call me and say, is there anything you'd like me to prepare and have for when you get home? And then it was like, spinach pie was like the letters R, N, S, T, L, and D on Wheel of Fortune, where they just give them to you. They already just know you're going to pick them. Right. And so my mother was just like, okay, I know spinach pie. But, but what else? Spinach yeah. pie. All right. Walk me through how to make one really quick. Oh, it's, it's, see, this is the thing. It's my mom's spinach pie is like cacio e pepe or throwing a knuckleball in Major League Baseball. I could teach you how to throw it in an afternoon, but it will take you a lifetime to learn how to throw it for strikes. Perfect it. Yeah. So basically, my mom thaws out a couple boxes of frozen spinach. Okay. Got to be frozen. Chopped spinach, not whole leaf. Eggs, ricotta, a little bit of Parmesan a big onion that she has just lightly sauteed, but she still wants it to be a little crispy. So you don't blanch it, chop it, sweat it, take it right off the heat, breadcrumb. Then you take some mozzarella and cube it like about the size of a plain die. And then you cut the rest like a domino or a mahjong tile. And then you basically make the mix. And my mom does it very much by feel and by sight. Preheat your oven to about 355, oil like a Pyrex pan, press the mixture in and then lay the mozzarella on top. I think she starts it covered with foil and then finishes it uncovered. It's but brown on the top. Right, exactly. I've tried to make it a few times and it's okay. It's a pale approximation of mom's. You know, I lost my mom quite a long time ago and I always thought I would remember all the recipes and I could make them because I'd made them with her so many times. But there's just some mom thing that goes into these things that she never talks about or never shows you, and they just don't taste the same. Even if you use the same pan, same oven, same kitchen, they just don't taste the same without the mom love. I agree. And it's funny. I spoke to a head shrinker about this a while back. He was explaining to me that when we have dreams or nightmares, as the case may be, about people we love passing, it actually is a manifestation of our love for them. And I had this awful dream once. I remember in grad school calling my mom sobbing how I had had a dream where she had passed and I tried to make a dish 
of hers. And I, it was, uh, I envisioned myself sitting at this table by myself crying because it didn't taste the same. I'm getting emotional talking about that dream. And the thing is, you know, he was saying, this is because you love her and this is a moment you, you cherish. And he said, it won't taste the same. It just won't. Because that's the beauty of that parental connection. But I also had, I was blessed to have great aunts who were great cooks. And the funny thing is even now, you know, not to like, make it about plugging the show but the thing that i find so fascinating is when i go to turkey hill Derek's still talking about the way great grandma made ice cream even though turkey hill is this massive brand even though wise potato chips sells them to 15 different countries there's still one person with the knife this big breaking the potatoes down and cutting the brown spots out everyone has like a memory connected to that first flavor that they liked that first thing that they liked and that's the beauty and the power of food. So what we did was with Modern Marvels is because the food that built America has that beautiful cinematic aspect where real actors and these beautiful sets and costumes and you're right there. You're right at that moment of inspiration. And for me, because I'm a geek and I love culinary anthropology, so I was blessed that they involved me. But the idea of Modern Marvels is... Not so well and great, and I love that story from then, but how does that affect me now? There's something about the brands we loved as a kid or the brands we loved growing up and then seeing how they're made. There is something about, okay, here's the legend, but Modern Marvels is the legacy. So there's an ice cream episode because we learn about the feud between good humor and Popsicle, for example. People don't realize the guy who created Popsicle did it by accident. He left a stirring stick in a beverage on the front porch of his home in San Francisco, came out the next day, had it, recreated it, and his kids started referring to it as Pop's Icicle, and then it became Popsicle. For me, like when I go to the supermarket now, I'm looking at, you know, the- A man and his family. the, The design on the top of Oreos, and the Hydrox came first, and then Hydrox- where the name comes from, how Sunshine and Nabisco were different, or the fact that Nabisco stands for National Biscuit Company, that Lorna Doon was the name of an actual girl. person, yeah. Yeah, that Fig Newton was a fig cake cookie from a bakery in Newton, Massachusetts. You know these foods. You know these type of foods. You may even know these brands, but you'll never, I don't even look at them the same way again. And I've been making my living in food television, you know, for the better part of the past 11 years, not going the thing that I was always just fascinated is that all these places, all these things you see in the grocery store, typically they started in some mama's, grandmama's kitchen. Absolutely. I mean, that's the shocking thing. I didn't know Miss Stouffer was a real person, but my mother would let us have those Stouffer's French bread pizzas when we came home from school sometimes. So good. And that was the only frozen food we were able to have in the house, really. She made everything from scratch. So the Stouffer's, when I went to visit the factory, I saw the picture of her and the story from when they're in the depression and how she started feeding people to bring in money for her family. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That And that makes me love the brand even more. I know it's owned by somebody different now. Big deal. But that's the roots of that started with a mom trying to feed her family. Absolutely. I, I thought Wise was a cool name and they have the owl as you know, a logo. Never thinking this is an individual's last name. There was a man named Clarence Birdseye. It's a cool name for a vegetable company, but Clarence Birdseye was a real dude. We stand on the shoulders of giants culinarily. 
and we take for granted these names and we take for granted these brands, but Martin's Potato Rolls. Oh, yes. We're just now getting them down here. I love them. Game changer. Game changer for burgers. You're listening to Homemade. Stay tuned and we'll talk more with Adam Richmond about soup, hot sauce, and his culinary travels. We'll be right back after the break. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. I'm Marty Duncan, and my guest today is Adam Richmond. I noticed that you did a poll recently on your Instagram about soup. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk about that. I'm a soup addict, man. I love wow, soup. Okay. Like, even in the summer in the South, I still, if there's soup or gumbo or one of those things on a menu, I'm probably going to have it. Yeah. There's a place here that just makes the most creamy, mouth-watering, perfect soups a place called Chez Fonfon that's also owned by Frank Stitt, but they just got it down to a science. Anyway, that's I haven't awesome. missed those during the pandemic. The <laughs> so, world's best soup. What did you find out? Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, obviously, I know the whole Campbell story from the Food That Built America, but I'm biased. I've been trying to get my mom to sell her soups for the better part of two decades. That's her speciality. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and everyone's like, oh, Jewish mom chicken soup. Her chicken soup is great, but my dad, may rest in peace, said, I fell in love with your mother for her beauty, her wit, her intelligence, and her charm, but I married her for her steak au poivre and her split pea soup. Love it. I love it. There was a place in New Haven, Connecticut called Bentara that did this soup. I think it was an Indonesian soup called Istamewa and had like a peanut, spicy peanut base to it. That was remarkable. I love the Akamaru Modern from Yipudo Ramen here in New York. I like... Uh, Say that again. Akamaru Modern from Ipudo what in New York. What the heck is that? Ipudo is a ramen place on 4th Avenue and 11th Street. Okay. And it's it's chained from uh, Japan. There's also really good Nakamura Ramen and Gomate in Hawaii. Gomate does a sesame-backed ramen broth. Like when I order green curry from this particular Thai place in my neighborhood, I get extra green curry broth. And it's just like good for what ails you. And I love the fact that every culture has some variant of... Mama's chicken soup. Of soup in general. I mean, Burns Steakhouse in Tampa does an onion soup that you just kind of... Oh, that's... I've had that one. So wonderful. Fort Point Pier in Boston. Obviously, you've got great chowder. Legal Seafood's got great chowder. I had wonderful chowder in San Francisco. Chopinos. Chopinos, yeah, me too. So, so good. And I think that that's the beautiful thing, too, that as you travel abroad and you try Caldo Verde in Lisbon and you try gumbo, like when I land in New Orleans, I go to a place right in the bank of 
like Pontchartrain, called R and O Seafood, and then I get shrimp and oyster po'boy dressed, and then I get a thing of gumbo, and I have to have the whole bottle of Crystal just standing right on the standby. Crystal is a hot sauce, y'all, and it's a New Orleans yes. hot sauce, and it's popular. People yes. swear by it or die for it. And I, you, I got to make like a Crystal slick yep. on the top of the soup and eat my way through it. Now, you said you're going to get your poor boy dress, so you might want to tell everybody what that means, too. You're going to have it completely Correct. all so the way. Dressed. Yeah. So dressed means like... Uh, with all the fixings. Yeah. So generally speaking, it's lettuce, tomato, pickles, and then the condiments can vary. Domelizzi's, which was Tony Bourdain's favorite place uptown, they use spicier sauces and ketchups. Then my buddy Justin Kennedy down at Parkway Bakery on Hague. I love Parkway Bakery. So good. So, so good. Yeah, that one's out in Brown's favorite, I think. Is it? Everybody got their own favorite. Yeah, yeah well, I, I love it. I think that there's just so, you know, Andrew Zimmerman sent me to Mahoney's in the Garden District once. I went to Russell Shortstop out in Metri. I think that's the sort of beautiful thing, too. The, the best thing about any given po' boy is there's a bread that's in New Orleans called Leidenheimer's. Yes. And it can really only exist there because of the sea level and the dew point. And to quote Justin, potato chip crust, cotton candy inside, and it can get stale like this. I mean, it's got so many big air bubbles, but that's what allows it to catch all the juice and the, the magic of it. <laughs> yeah, that that's your napkin, that bread, basically. Amen to that. So your favorite outside of, let's say, a home cook, not a restaurant thing, home cook soup. You said you want your mama to produce those. So what would be in her soup line Ooh. besides the split pea? Okay. Let's pick three things that she would debut in her soup line. Uh, her cabbage soup. Oh, I love cabbage soup. It's like got a sour, sweet element. Again, I'm part, I'm half Polish. So it's a very, cabbage is sort of like. Staple. The, the cultural bird, I suppose. Yeah. I would say that. And then her chicken soup. I mean, she's a Jewish mom. So there's a special kind of Fantasia Sorcerer's Apprentice alchemy that happens there. And though the split pea is good, she does a cold soup she used to make for my father, another sort of Polish farm recipe type of thing. It's made with buttermilk, and it has cucumber, radish, and green onion, and it's a cold soup. And I remember after I had my tonsils out and I could slowly begin eating harder things, she made that for me so I could start getting some nutrients, but it was still soothing. Isn't it funny how you just flip right back to those memories, the things that, you know, really meant something? Amen. You know, Adam, as you mentioned earlier, this last year has been such a tough time for everybody, especially for those in our restaurant industry. When we finally do open up again, what are you looking forward to? Like for me, I miss brunch. I miss going to brunch with friends on Saturday or Sunday. And it's not just the food because I can make that at home if I want to. But I miss that togetherness. What are you most looking forward to? You know, it's it sounds so like overly canned of a response, but having the lion's share of my friends in the industry on some level or another, I just like to see their timelines full of like mundane stuff. This is my kid dressed for school. This is the puppy rolling around on the couch and not them trying to exist, survive, to take care of their staff. And I think that because right now so much of anyone in the industry's energy is devoted to surviving and supporting those who work with and for them, I guess I missed that. Food-wise, 
there's something analogous to your brunch, but those meals that kind of almost go on forever, like you go out with some friends or a friend and it starts as a snack and then it becomes a meal and then you order something and you get another bottle of wine and those wonderful odysseys and, and time goes by and the waiter is almost part of your group in some respects. But those wonderful evenings and and I think the reemergence of the food festival, the food oh, event. me too. The food fair. You know, even um, I was just telling people today, while people make so much of the big bougie food festivals, there's one I highly recommend when you come back to New York called the Queens International Night Market. And it's every culture, everything. I'm going with you. I'm going to go with you. You say when. It's right behind the Science Museum. I love it. I'm going with you, and you're going to teach me everything. Because I'm half New Yorker, so I need to know things I've missed out on all this time. Absolutely. My pleasure. I miss the food festivals because I miss the people. I love cooking at home on my camera, and I've done quite a lot of that during the pandemic, and I'm blessed for it. But I miss my people, like seeing the people. I miss traveling for food as well. Getting off the plane, luggage still in the car, going to R&O for gumbo and a po' boy. Going to Austin and knowing as God is my witness, I'm going to Driftwood. I'm going to the Salt Lake. Yeah, you're going to the Salt Lake for sure. And, and I love that. That's the thing that people forget. Like the word terroir always gets thrown around with wine in a very bougie fashion, but it ultimately means taste of place. And the idea that it is exclusionary and only for something as a feat as wine. You for, to me, the very terminal building is part of the terroir of SF. Yes. Like the great Chinatown, Toulon and the little Saigon sandwiches and Ike's, the original Ike sandwich in the Castro. And when I was in Philadelphia, I just went and I took my film crew with me there, Reading Terminal Market, where I had voted the Nick's Roast Pork Best Sandwich in America. And I was lucky to know that they had been eating off of that, you know, for some time, which made me happy. But he was saying it's been very hard on the other side of that for these other businesses. So to be fair, whether it's West Side Market in Cleveland, Smorgasburg here, the Cab Food Hall, these places where you can gather and eat, and especially in places like Chicago, New York, the Midwest, the Great Lakes, where cold weather is devastating places with or without outdoor seating. And I just really hope that, you know, as a nation, we band together, we follow the science, get vaccinated, masks, wash hands, and find a way to the other side of it. Because the truth is, the only way back to each other is through each other. And like, we're going to need each other to do that. But I think food can do that. You know, the one thing I always laugh about is like you can almost get anybody, and I don't care who it is, you can almost get anybody to talk to you about food. I don't care if they hate you or they have a completely different concept of what the world needs to be than you do, but you can find common ground on food. When I did my last cookbook called Alabama Cravings, I have a section in there called Famous Folks Crave, and it's famous Alabama folks like that I thought I would never get to talk to, to be candid, you know? Why would they talk to me? But I found out that if you ask them about their mama's cooking or their favorite local food, they will talk to you. I mean, all of them will. You can't talk about Alabama food 
and not think about Mobile and the Gulf. And, right. And that's the first Mardi Gras, y'all. That's right. And people will forget. And we've been to Wenzel's Oyster House for my shows. But people even think that the cheeseburger in paradise that Jimmy sang about is in Mobile. And, you know, that there is this tremendous seafood tradition, this tremendous agrarian tradition, things like. So the funny thing is this, especially when you think about, you know, whether it's Savannah or Charleston or parts of Alabama and the sort of, you know, the Middle Passage and African culture coming here through the slave trade is that when I was in South Africa, I tried a kind of relish that there in the Google Atu Township called Chakalaka. Chakalaka is their relish. And Chakalaka, I kid you not, is chopped up chow chow. And that's the thing. It is. It owes more to chow chow than any chutney or any relish. And that's the thing that I also loved because I admit I was a Jew in Montgomery, Alabama. And you know what I mean? And I was like, oh boy, I am. Yeah. You know, I went shopping for Passover and I was like having a little bit of a hard time. But then you realize that there is a Jewish community there and that it isn't all barbecue and it isn't all meat and three, that there are beautiful, subtle nuances and there are very different traditions, Eastern, Western, Northern, Southern, Central Alabama flavors. And by the way, I'll have you know, there is a barbecue place whose name escapes me right now in Mobile. It's one of the smartest damn marketing things ever. He found out that the road in front of his barbecue place got a lot of traffic. And what he did was he took a barrel, made it look like a smoker, takes wood and soaks it in his barbecue sauce. Then he lights it and he has a fan that blows the smell over the road. So when people are caught in traffic, they go, hell, I'll pick up some ribs. <laughs> they go in. There's a guy in the little town, you know, Fairhope is not far from um, Mobile. Love Fairhope. Me too. I'm going today. I'm I'm leaving after we finish. I'm headed down there. But um, there's a guy down there. He's got a little barbecue shack, and he does the same thing. He's got a uh, like a crappy gas grill that he puts right by the road, and he keeps it full of. He puts wet wood on it. He's not cooking any food. He puts soaking wet wood on it and lets it all the smoke come out to the road, so people will pull in. I think that's brilliant. Brilliant. Smart. Smart, smart. <laughs> Listen, I I have just so enjoyed this, Thank and you, I could talk too. to you forever, like forever. So y'all don't miss Modern Marvels, Adam's new show on History Channel, and another one that uh, the documentary that just so well done, The Food That Built America. Y'all don't miss either one of those. So let's see, Modern Marvels is going to premiere. February 21st on History Channel. Correct. And then it's the behind the scenes look at your favorite foods. So just to put that in a nutshell, that's sort of like every brand that you kind of take for granted that you see in the grocery store. He shows you the behind the scenes look of how it's made and then talks you through where it came from. Yeah, not just the brands, the foods, ice creams, cookies from fortune cookies to chocolate chip cookies. Oh, I love the one on the fortune cookies. That was so interesting. And that they still make those things by hand was even more fascinating. Yep. And then the food that built America on History Channel. So y'all tune in for that one too. And again, the pizza one that I saw a little clip of was fascinating. I can't wait to dig in and watch all these, Adam. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm honored, you know, because I also am a fan of the network. So the fact that History Channel has faith in me to bring not one or two of these, but also... There's just so many people 
behind the scenes doing so much hard work that we never see to bring us the most everyday snacks that we take for granted from our potato chips to our cheese to ice cream to our ice cream and and so many i mean for the guy whose only job for a whole shift may be stacking the containers that your ice cream gets filled into those little things those little jobs that unsung heroes you know never really get their chance to shine and i hope that now if you've ever been there, if you've ever been sort of a cog in a larger machine, that you'll see the recognition and you'll see how the traditions of yesterday are updated with the modern wizardry and mechanics of today, but still with really awesome people really working hard. And a lot of times those original family members are still there, even if the company may have been sold or whatever. You usually will see a grandson, a granddaughter, somebody from the family still involved in those businesses yes ma'am for the chocolate episode by the way y'all we go to the oldest continuously operating chocolatier period and this place opened uh, its doors the same year that lincoln signed the emancipation proclamation where's that in philadelphia shane confectionery opened stores in 1863 and we actually make hard toy candy which you have to see to believe It's, it's gorgeous really it, it takes a lot for me to, dis, to describe a candy as gorgeous. But again, made with copper kettles that were 250 years old. Fascinating. The taffy hook is, you know, from the last century. So again, it's just like we talk about buying American. We talk about being culturally inclusive. And very often it's something forced. And the dope thing with food is that you never have to force it. These are the real stories that are told by real people who live it and have lived it for generations. And these are the businesses that keep whole cities employed for generations. So I think- For generations. special. Adam, thank you for bringing it to us. I I can't wait. I think it's going to be so much fun. Y'all be sure and tune in. Follow Adam on Instagram. Your Instagram is? At Adam Richmond. And then you're on TikTok. Just at Adam Richmond across everything, with the exception, of course, of Snapchat, where it's OG Adam Richmond. The original gangster. Okay. Thank you, Adam. I have loved every second of it. Back at you. I'm so excited to watch every episode of Adam's two new shows and to learn more about these iconic foods that we all love. And definitely keep up with Adam on social media. He's always got something fun going on, and he's a big supporter of our local mom-and-pop restaurants, the ones that need our support these days the most. Coming up on the next episode of Homemade, we'll celebrate Grandma's home cooking with an episode dedicating to cooking with our grandmothers. First of all, my grandmother was completely in favor of child labor. I have to say that, (laughs) first off. So, like, if you, you know, when you're 7 or 8 or 10 or whatever... If me and my sister went to my grandmother, it was full with awareness of we working. I never remember playing with my grandmother or my grandfather. It was full on work. I set the bike, I ran up the 15 stairs, and I was sweaty because I was probably bike racing with my sisters. But once you entered, you were actively working. So it wasn't a place where I brought my friends necessarily, but I also was there because you always got great food. It's going to be so much fun. I don't want you to miss it. So please subscribe to the podcast right now. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, I'd really appreciate it. 
And don't forget, you can find thousands of recipes, meal ideas, and cooking how-tos from the world's largest community of cooks at allrecipes.com. This podcast was recorded in Birmingham, edited in Atlanta, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Homemade is produced by All Recipes with Jason Burnett. Thanks to our Pod People production team, Rachel King, Matt Sab, Danielle Roth, Jim Hankey, Maya Croft, and Erica Wall. I'm Marty Duncan, and this is Homemade.